Today we turn a corner in our study in the book of Romans. Uh, we have been talking a lot about sin. And uh, we spent uh, several months just talking about sin. And then finally we began to talk about justification. That we've been declared just. We've been declared righteous. See, we were sinners who were born in sin. We had no hope. We lived in despair. And the gospel came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, as it said in Romans 3.23, is eternal life. God declares us just. Chapter 6 introduces us to a new concept. It's the concept of sanctification. Yes, the concept of sanctification. Justification deals with the penalty and guilt of sin. Sanctification deals with the power of sin. Living out the Christian life is a process that takes time. Justification is the declaration, if you would. Sanctification is living out that declaration. Let me say it again. Justification is the declaration. It is God declaring you righteous because you've come to that point in your life. You've put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone to take you to heaven. At that moment, you are declared righteous. You are declared just. God ripes, wraps his son's righteousness around you. When God looks down from heaven at you, he sees Jesus' righteousness wrapped around you. But then there's sanctification. If you look there in verse 22, it says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. It's where we get the word sanctification, which means to be set apart from that word holiness. So now we're going to be talking about living out this Christian life. I am declared, if you would, righteous, but now it's living it out. Almost 40 years ago, Virginia and I stood at the altar of First Baptist Church in Newcastle, Delaware, before Dr. A.V. Henderson, and Dr. Henderson declared us marriage, or married. He said, by the authority of, uh, invested in me as a preacher of the gospel in the state of Delaware, I declare this young man and young woman married. Now, it wasn't too long after we were married, maybe a week, that I blew it really big time. We moved to Virginia. I was in college, and, you know, Virginia was looking for a job, and I had a job already and going to school full time, and she needed to find a job, and then she got sick. And she was sick for two weeks, and I have to tell you, I was irritated at her for two weeks because she had no right to be sick because she needed to be out finding a job. And I let her know that. Now, you would think after years of 40 years of marriage, I would get this thing down called marriage because we were declared married, but yet it's been a process that we're working through. And I have to tell you this, even at 40 years, we've not arrived. How about you, Brother Hawthorne? How many years? 60 couple, yeah. Have you arrived yet in marriage? 
No. Yeah. Because we're all this process. We're all working through it. And you would think I would get it down. About a week and a half ago, we were laying in bed together, and, and we got a brand new little puppy. And uh, as soon as I hit the bed, I'm pretty much out. And so I was almost out, and I heard my wife scream. Now, you think the natural thing was to, you know, get up, turn around, and look. She had a cup of tea that I had brought her, and she was drinking it. And the puppy jumped up and hit the tea and spilled it all over her. Now, what, after 40 years of marriage, should I have done? Do you think I did it? No. I acted like I was asleep. <laughs> Horrible. Horrible. <laughs> she said to me the next day, did you, did you hear me scream? I didn't want to lie. <laughs> I said, well, I think I did. <laughs> well, why didn't you turn around and see what happened? Because sometimes I just don't get it. I've been declared married. You'd think after 40 years I'd get it. And some of us, listen, we've been saved a long time, and you think we'd get it, wouldn't you? You think we'd have this thing of living the Christian life down. But here's the thing. The process of sanctification doesn't end until we're out in another world. And we no longer have to worry about sin. But until then, it is a process that we are working through. Paul ends chapter 5. Last week, Pastor John preached for us. And look at you would at the end of chapter 5. He says in verse 20, the law was added so that trespasses might be increased. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The KJV says, where sin abound, grace abounded more. And so what he's saying, listen, you can sin, but there's more grace. And every person who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior ought to get excited right there that grace abounds more. We want to raise our hand when we sing, and I want to raise my hand when we sung that last song. But I want to raise my hand that grace abounds more than sin does. And so this thought is in the mind, and Paul realizes where people are going with that thought. Well, now that I'm sanctified, now that, or now that I am just, now that I have salvation, I'm declared righteous, I'm on my way to heaven, is it okay for me just to sin and then 1 John 1, 9 it? I can sin, and then I'll just say, please forgive me, God, I sinned again, no big deal. It's not a big deal. Is that what, is that what we should do? Listen, listen to what Paul says. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? You just said, you know, that when we sin, grace is going to increase. Don't we want grace to increase? Don't we want God to, you know, have his grace continue to increase? But look at the words that Paul says. By no means. May it never be. God forbid. You can't go there. Listen. Now that you're saved, you should want to sin less. You should want to be more like Christ. Not less like him, not to continue in sin. He says, listen, now that you've been justified, that justification leads to holiness. 
Listen to me this morning. If justification doesn't lead to holiness, you better go back and you better check and make sure you're saved. Now, I'm not talking about sinless perfection because this preacher is nowhere close to that. Listen, but there ought to be a change in our life. And that change, we ought to be able to see it happening over a period of time. And so look, look at what he says there. He says, by no means we have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Died to sin. Let's park there just for a minute. Or we are dead to sin. And what is Paul trying to tell us in those three little words, died to sin? Well, does it mean we no longer want to sin? Or sin has no more power or influence over us? But if that were true, why, and we'll see next week, why would Paul talk about in verses 12 through 14, therefore do not let sin in your mortal bodies or reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. And, he's, and we're going to talk about that part next week, so he's certainly not talking about that. Or maybe it means no longer we ought to sin. Sin is now inappropriate for the Christian, though that is true. I don't think that's what he's meaning because it's not we ought to die it says there what? Not that we ought to die, what? That we died to sin. We died to sin. doesn't mean that we're slowly moving away from sin, that sin is weakening in us. Well, do you slowly die or do you just die? You just sort of die, don't you? Okay. And so that, that's can't be that. Or does it mean that we've renounced sin in, in some moments, such as at our baptism, that we decided that we're not going to sin no more? No, it doesn't mean that. So what does it mean? What is Paul trying to say here when he said we shouldn't sin? We should be dead to sin. We should be dead to sin. To tell you that it's a past tense verb that is used here, He's talking about, listen, it's not right now. He's talking about an event that happened in the past, and he's referring back to the death of Jesus Christ. When I was justified, when I took salvation through the uh, blood of Christ, at that moment, I was declared righteous, and my sin had already died, myself had already died, if you would, back at the cross of Calvary some 2,000 years ago. So the moment you become a Christian, here's what it means. You are no longer under the reign and the ruling power of sin. That's what it means. You are no longer under the reign or the ruling power of sin. You have the power of Christ to say no to sin. You have the power of Christ now to make a choice to obey rather than to be a rebel against Christ. And you might sit here and just say, well, well, sometimes it doesn't seem like that in my Christian life, and that's true. Let me explain to you why. Let me give you a, a, a picture, if you would, a mental picture. So you have country, and this country is ruled by a dictator, and this dictator is evil. And, and he not only has the country, but he has the capital. He sits on the throne of that capital, and they rule with an iron fist. And everybody obeys them. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this good army comes in, and they take the country, and they keep moving in and moving in till they finally take the capital city, 
And they become the new ruling king, if you would, the new one who is reigning over that country. But you know what happens is they begin to drive all of those other people out, but not all of those people live. There are what's called the guerrilla force, if you would. And that guerrilla force can create havoc for the new rightful government. It could often impose its will on part of the country, even though that it cannot be back in power. You see that this morning? Even though they can't get back in power because they've got a brand new government, they can still cause havoc in parts of the country. The guerrilla force. And let me tell you, that's what sin is. That's what Satan is. He's that guerrilla force. When you came to know Jesus Christ, you, you died with him. There's a new ruler in your life. There's someone new reigning over your life. But there's still the, the guerrilla force of the flesh. The flesh is the beachhead of sin, where sin still is. And every once in a while, that guerrilla force shows up and causes us to do things that we don't want to do. But it shouldn't be the ruling power. It's Jesus Christ who's now ruling and reigning in your life. But the reality, sometimes that guerrilla force gets in and wreaks havoc, doesn't it? Remember back, we'll go there too long, but remember back when God brought the Israelites into the promised land and he gave them one thing they needed to do. He said, when you go in to that land, I want you to drive out all of the false religions. Remember that? Go in and I want you to drive everybody out of there. And what did Israel do? Did they drive everybody out? No, they didn't, did they? And because of that, the Canaanites and the Hittites and all those ites that we find caused them problems time after time after time. And sometimes we're that same way. We know there's things in our life, and we know we shouldn't let them stay there, but we let them stay there anyway. We don't drive them out. Paul gives us three important words. Here's what they are. Here's those three important words. Know, reckon, and yield. Know, reckon, and yield. Now, some, 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 some people have said, it's taken you guys forever to go through the book of Romans. Probably if we really went through it at the speed we needed to, it would take us years upon years. Because there is so much. And again, this is one of those chapters, there is so much in these and so today I'm going to give you just the word no. Next week I'm going to take just three verses and talk about the word reckon and yield. So if you're visiting with us today, you might want to come back next week, just decide on it now, to get the whole message, okay? But just because of time, I'm going to talk about yield, or to, excuse me, the word no. The word no means to understand, to perceive, to consider. Your sanctification is built on knowledge, not on feeling. Look, if you would, at the scripture. Look there in verse 3. Or don't you what? Tell me. Don't you? Come on. Talk to me. No. Don't you know? Look down in verse 6. For we, tell me again. No. For we know. Look in verse 8 or verse 9. For we what? No. So these are some things. Let me say this again. Your sanctification in this process, isn't built 
It shouldn't be built on feelings. It should be built on knowledge. If it was built on feelings, I'd really be in bad shape. Because listen, there are some days I don't feel like doing what I should do. You know what I mean? Man, there are some days I'm coming up at 283 and I'm doing 65, 75, and I'm just praising God and I'm having a good day. And man, I can't wait to get to the office and can't wait to do things that day. And there's other days I'm coming up 283 texting, doing other things, just my mind is not where it needs to be, and I'm not feeling it. But praise God, our sanctification, just like our salvation isn't built on feelings, our sanctification can't be either. You're never, you're never going to go anywhere in your sanctification process if, it's, process if it's all about feelings. It starts with this thing of knowing, about knowing. And so there are some things that we need to know today. And let me give them to you quickly this morning. First of all, when we think about this, we need to know, we need to identify with Christ. And there's three things. You can write them there. We need to identify with his death, his resurrection, and his life. His death, his burial, and his life. His death, his resurrection, and his life. We need to identify. Our identification is with Christ. And so you'll notice there that he begins by saying, Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So he said, let me give you the first thing you need to know. Let me help you to understand. Let me, let me Paul's saying, I want you to know this, that your sanctification begins with knowing this, begins with identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. You hear me say it often, I'll say it a thousand times. The gospel is not only for salvation, the gospel is for sanctification also. I need the gospel all of my life. I need to live in the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. I need to identify with that, and for help us to identify with that, he uses baptism. Baptizo, the word there means to dunk. And he says, listen, at the moment of salvation, you are dunked into the body of Christ. But I want to give you this picture. You are dunked into Christ's death, into Christ's burial, into Christ's resurrection. So you died with Christ. Your sin, if you would, the penalty of your sin died with Christ. I was condemned to die, but the good news was at salvation, at justification. I was made alive in Christ, and I am going to live forever in heaven with him. I have died to the penalty of sin. I died to that penalty. I don't have to worry about hell anymore. I don't have to worry about eternal separation. But you'll notice at baptism, I often say it when I baptize somebody, buried in the likeness of his his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, and here's the key, to walk in a new way of life. To walk in a new way, to walk in holiness. And so that's what he's saying here. Listen, you have been buried with Christ. You have risen with Christ. And I know he's not talking about water baptism here. He's giving us an illustration using water baptism of what happened to you at salvation. But I'll just stop and say 
that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the next step of obedience is water baptism, to be dunked. That's what the Scripture says. If you're saved and you've never followed the Lord in scriptural baptism, I want to encourage you to think about that. We're going to do a baptism service here in July out of the roots like we always do. If you've never been scripturally baptized, think about being scripturally baptized. But he said, listen, you have been united. Look at verse 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection. That word united, interesting word, it means we are grafted into. We are grafted into. We're going to get to Romans chapter 9 eventually, and we're going to see how at salvation we are grafted into the the people of Israel. But we're going to see here that he says, listen, at salvation, I am engrafted into Christ. And you know, when you engraft something, when you take that limb and you engraft it into that tree, that limb has now what? All the nutrition, all the power. And at the moment of salvation, I was engrafted into Christ, and I have his power to to live the Christian life. I have the power to live a sanctified, holy life. Why? Not because of me. I have no righteousness of my own, but at the moment of salvation, I was engrafted. I was put into Christ through baptism. And that ought to excite you just a little bit. It ought to excite you just a little bit. This is what happened at salvation. Excites me, maybe nobody else, but I get excited about these things. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, the body of Christ. Galatians 2, 20, What shall I say then? Listen, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's not me, it's Christ living through me. What this means practically is Christ didn't serve sin. I don't need to serve sin. And then he goes on and he talks about the old self is dead in in verses 6 through 8. He talks about, so the body of sin might be done away, might be put away, might be destroyed. With that, we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been free from sin. Again, died. It's past tense. You died at the cross. It goes all the way back to the cross. The old man is dead. And we go back to chapter 6. Remember, we spent some time in chapter 6, and I told you about the, at the first Adam. The first Adam was in the Garden of Eden. He sinned. He was the federal head. He represented us all. But the good news, the federal head, the new Adam, came and made it possible for us to do away with what the first Adam did. And what he's saying here is, listen, that first Adam is dead. At the moment of salvation, that old Adam is dead. The body of sin is done away with. Our sin was done away with at the cross. Paul is stating the same thing, basically just in a different way. And that's what he's doing. And then if you'll notice also, so he wants us to know that their old self, that old person, that old Adam, died at the cross. Look in verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. He's not a slave to that anymore. 
The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives by God. We should no longer be slaves to sin. No longer be slaves to sin. Listen to what Peter says. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, he says, arm yourselves also with the same person, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of this time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. He's not talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about, listen, we are no longer slaves to sin. You're going to help me out this morning. What's your name? Noah. Noah. Good name. Thanks. Sit right there for a minute, Noah. Just for illustration purposes, this side represents unsaved people. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. That's what happens when you're on the left. <laughs> no, just, we won't go there. I'm just kidding. Okay. So anyway, here is Noah. Noah is a lost sinner on his way to hell along with all his friends and family. But Noah comes to salvation. He gets justified. He is made right in Christ. And so at that moment, he moves. Now, let me, before you move, who, who is a slave to sin? Who's your master? Satan. Satan, the flesh, Satan, right? But at salvation, he gets up. God does this great work, and he comes over to the righteous side. Yay. Yes. Now, what's your name? Jalen, just for illustration. Because your granddad's a pastor, right? I knew that, so you're not going to fit this part anyway. So, but you're going to represent Satan this morning. You're his old master. But over on this side, you got a new master. It's God. It's Dr. Shear on this side. Okay? So picture this. Over on this side, you've got Satan. And what, what do you think Satan is saying? What, what, what do you think? Yeah, come back. Come back. Don't obey that new master. You can do anything you want when you're in school. You can leave at 1.30. You know, <laughs> you know, that's what, and so he's going to try. Now, listen, you've moved. You're not going to go back to the old master's field. But that doesn't mean that the old master's not going to keep calling you. The new master is going to keep reminding you of what he's written in his word. But you've got to think all the time that what? That old master is going to keep wanting you to come back. You're not going to go back to that field, but the thing you will do sometimes know is, you know what? You'll listen to that old master. Thanks. Good job. You go back to the old field. (laughs) (laughs) Should have made him sit here the rest of the time, shouldn't I? But do you see that this morning? That's what that scripture says. You no longer belong to the old master. You've moved to a new field. Why? Listen, sometimes as I'm working over here in the new field, the old master is going to keep calling me and calling me and say, do this, do that. Go back to the old ways. You're not going to go back over that road to that old field. But sometimes here's the problem. You're going to listen. You're not a slave to the old master. You've got a new master. You don't have to listen to that old master anymore. You've been what? You don't have to go back to the old field. And that's what he's saying. You're not a slave to sin. 
I want you to know that, he says. And then lastly, I want you to know that Christ died to sin. Sin does not have to be our master. Why? Let me give you three things as we close. First of all, we died to the penalty of sin. He took our sin upon him. Every sin that you've committed, every sin you will commit, he took those sins upon him. He, as the choir sang earlier, he wiped them away. He did away with them. And then he died to the power of sin. It no longer has to have power over you. You don't have to obey it anymore. And then he died to sin once and for all. See, back in the Old Testament, there had to be a new sacrifice all the time for sin. But the good news, as Hebrews says, when the great high priest came and he sacrificed himself for us, that was enough once and for all. The blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to forgive all of sin. All of sin. He died once. And then in verse, and basically, when we get there to verse 10, again, Paul, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul, you know, you know how it is with Paul. Come on, we've been going through this book forever, it seems like. Paul just keeps reminding you and reminding you. He reminded you for three chapters you were a sinner, didn't he? Some of you were saying, man, I can't wait till we get past chapter three. Man, I am so tired of being called sinner every Sunday. And then we finally got past it and we learned how we're justified in Christ. And now we're sanctified. And so listen, Paul just again wants you to get it. He wants you to know this. The moment of salvation, we're justified. We're declared righteous before God and the process of sanctification starts. The process, listen to this. I don't want you to miss this. This is so important. The process is more about a relationship than it is a bunch of rules and regulations. Because here's what we do, and here's what they did in my church. I still remember it. Man, in my church, you walked the aisle, you made a profession of faith, and we cut your hair. We told you how to dress because if you dressed with a tie or you dressed like this, you were spiritual. Oh, listen to me this morning. Is Dr. Sheard less spiritual than I am? Because he's got jeans and I've got a nice pair of black slacks on this morning. Who's more spiritual? You tell me. You better say me. No. (laughs) You know, you know, you know. It's neither one of us are more spiritual. We are spiritual in Christ, period. That's it. But what happens is we have these rules and regulations that we put on and we think that's sanctification. The problem is when you make sanctification about that, it is about an inch deep. You realize this. When you start to know God and when you start to deepen that relationship, all of that other junk goes away. We get it backwards, folks. Salvation is a relationship. Sanctification is a relationship. And the more I know about God, the more I focus in his word, the more I memorize, the more I meditate, the more like Christ I'm going to become. I was thinking about this this morning. I have three kids. Love all three. Spend a lot of time with all three of them. But I have to tell you, I have one who's probably the most like me, and it's my daughter, it's the youngest one, Rachel. We think the same way. If you talk to Virginia, she's going to tell you. We have our own language that we talk. It irritates her to death. But we just, 
we can say things and, and, and we just click. Now, it's probably because she really struggled. The other two, man, they flew through school. She struggled, so I spent a lot of time working with her. And then she went to PBU, and then she graduated from PBU. I helped her through a lot of courses in PBU, all of her Bible classes. And then she said, I want to be a counselor. Now, you know, I have a master's in counseling. I love counseling. And so she just got my heart. And so through those master's program, we spent a lot of time talking about counseling and working together. And other than she has a lot more hair than me and a little nose ring, we're just alike. We are. Man, we have the same heart. And you know why? It's because we know each other. We think just alike. Man, we have such a love for people, and we're going to react the same way. Why? Because we've spent so much time. Rachel is just like her dad. And listen to me this morning. The more time you spend with God, the easier sanctification becomes. Sanctification, the gospel is about Christ working in me to make me more like him. Sanctification. We're just getting started. Man, we we just got to the word no this morning. Wait till we get next week to reckon and yield. That's why if you're visiting, you got to come back next week. Because it gets better. It is about a relationship. So church, here's my challenge to you this week. It's a little bit different. Here's what I'm going to challenge you with, and we're going to close in prayer and be on our way. I want you to read the Bible this week. You should read it every week, but I want you to read it a little bit differently. I don't want, I don't want you to open your Bible and say, okay, God, give me something today. Give me something that's going to help me to live out this Christian life. I want you to open your Bible for something totally different this week. I want you to open your Bible, and I want you to pray this prayer. God, help me to see you in everything I read this week. Now, okay, God, I got this problem now. Give me a verse today that's going to help me deal with this problem. No, don't do that. I want this week, I want you to read the Bible for one purpose. I want you to read the Bible to see God and to know him. Even read with a piece of paper and pencil alongside and everything that you learn about God, everything that you learn about Jesus, everything that you learn about the Holy Spirit, just begin to journal it. And then go back and spend some time looking at that journal. Because listen, that's really what reading the word of God is all about. It's not, give me three easy steps to live out my life today. Because you know what? The more you know God, the more you know Jesus, I'm going to tell you, the other stuff comes natural. The problem is, we try to put the other stuff and run to find a verse that deals with the other stuff instead of just knowing God and knowing what he's done. And you know what's going to happen? Man, the other stuff's just going to fall into place. We get it backwards. Read your Bible this week just for the purpose of knowing God. Let's pray. Father, it's been good to be in your house today. It's been good to uplift you through praise. It's been good, Lord, to listen to these young people minister through music. It's been good to have our praise team lead us in forever, forever. We're going to glorify you. But until we get to that forever on the other side of heaven, Father, uh, we have this process of sanctification that we're in.
Or may we walk away today remembering sanctification isn't a list of rules and regulation. Sanctification, like salvation, is a relationship on Jesus Christ. And the deeper that relationship goes, those other areas will come. Sanctification comes. Holiness comes as we really know God. And that we're dead and buried and risen to walk, not in the old life, to walk in a new way. Even when that slave master calls us back, times to get our attention away, Lord, help us to keep moving through you in the process of sanctification. Amen.